Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to On Communication, the podcast brought to you by the College of Media and Communication at Texas Tech University. I'm your host, James Loss, and I'm here to bring you in-depth conversations with faculty and friends of the college. We like to talk about journalism, advertising, public relations, creative media, and so much more. Just as long as we all get to learn something new, and I am sure you will. So once again, welcome, and we are so glad you decided to join us today. On today's episode of On Communication, we are going to be discussing back burner relationships. And a back burner relationship is someone with whom we maintain contact with the hopes of potentially one day pursuing maybe a romantic uh, encounter, but they're not exactly the main person in our life, the main source of uh, intimacy. And for those people who may be unfamiliar with backburner relationships, we have two amazing guests with us today who are going to help us flesh out this concept, get into the implications of backburner relationships and whatnot. And first, we are joined by Dr. Carter, who is a professor of communication studies here in the College of Media and Communication, and she is also the assistant dean of international affairs. Also here with us is Dr. Jason Dibble from Hope College, and he is an associate professor of communication at Hope College. And uh, together, Dr. Jason Dibble and Dr. Carter uh, penned a paper about backburner relationships that has been widely cited by uh, Psychology Today in numerous articles and um, has received a lot of traction here recently in the college. In fact, Dr. Dibble, you are the first uh, guest on this podcast that is not a member of the College of Media and Communication. Is that so, true? Snaps there for you, oh, sir. To what do I owe <laughs> the honor? Well, y'all both know more than me in terms of back burner relationships, so I'm glad that both of y'all are here. So to kick things off, I kind of gave you know a conceptual definition there of what a back burner relationship uh, for all us research heads out there. Conceptual definition is kind of just that dictionary definition, right? But maybe to start this off, y'all could kind of give me a more practical definition, maybe those real life examples of what it means to have back burner relationships. Basically, it started back in grad school. So you'd go to these clubs and dance and, you know, and in the bars and stuff and you'd meet people and then you'd trade phone numbers. And then next thing you know, um, you're not really you don't necessarily want to uh, establish a relationship with them and get together and on a committed way. But you keep them in your phone and every couple months or every couple of weeks, you're zapping a note back and forth saying, hey, what's up? How are you? Um, it could be, you know, platonic looking. But what you're really interested in is, hey, I, are you still out there? Are you still kind of into me? I was still kind of into you that night. And um, I just want to know if you're still there just in case your current relationship situation changes. Dr. Carter, anything to add on there? Well, the way I describe it is like, think of your relationship as a stove, if you will. You kind of put your front, you know, your main relationship in the front burner and it's hot and steamy. And then you keep your side relationships off to the back. That's hence it's the back burner. And so that's how I describe it in class. It's just this person that you keep on the side just in case for whatever reason, your main burner, you know, fizzles out or it doesn't work out, whatever. Okay. Yeah. So very interesting concept here, very familiar concept, I'm sure on a societal level, right? But it seems in terms of something to research, something to de design a study around, it seems like it might be kind of squirmy, right? It's very, uh, it's very much an intangible, if you will, um, something that's hard to quantify in any way. So could y'all talk to me about the process of designing that study and how you came up with a way to measure things like a back burner relationship? 
Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing. When, whenever you discover something in the world or you notice something, then the question is, well, how do I study it in a scientific way? And the big question is, how do we measure something like this when it comes to back burners? Um, the place where we started was to create a definition. If we could get a, a good working definition going um, and you show it to a bunch of people and you start to realize that when you show them this definition, basically the one that you read at the beginning of the show, um, people will actually hook into that and they can go, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about there. And which is a first start because you got to be able to get them to access what you're talking about. Then what you do is you have them think about, okay, this is what a back burner is. Um, can you tell us how many of these people that you have? Um, one of the ways we make it easier is by having them look at their social media lists. So that's how we're doing a lot of our, our communication with backburners nowadays anyways is over social media. So for an easy place to start, we'll have them look at, well, it used to be Facebook when we started studying these, but now it might be Insta or something like that, looking at your contact list and having them give them the, the pre-definition of, of what a back burner is so that they're thinking of it. And then we have them look on their, their friends list or their contacts list and count the number of people that you would consider to fit that definition. Okay, so that so gives us kind of a starting point to to measure or quantify how many of these people are these back burner relationships that people will report having. One of the things that like I, I'm picking up on what y'all are saying, and in this uh, kind of pre research I did for this episode, it's like this back burner is in a sense just a a secondary relationship and it's almost like you're either trying to fill a hole or have some type of consistent backup does that sound accurate to y'all or yeah yeah i mean that's kind of some people a nickname them a plan b um in a more scholarly sense we've seen people write about it calling it partner insurance so in other words you kind of have a backup plan in case your current situation falls through and the reason we say current situation is because you may or may not already have a committed partner you may be single and like being single and so but you maintain these back burners in case you want to change that or you're already committed to somebody and you're maintaining back burners anyway, in case this current, this primary relationship falls through somehow, you've got somebody that you can reach out to and kind of uh, keep going as it were. Right. But that's exactly the way to think about them is sort of a plan B. Okay. Um, yeah. And yeah. on average, the most college students reported 5.5 having 5.5 back burners. Yeah. College average. students do a lot of this. Okay, so we're not just talking about Plan Bs. We're talking C, D, E, F, and all that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's, it's a lot of them. I mean, college students do it a lot. But you think about it, most college relationships are pretty transitory. They're pretty short, um, and so they're doing a lot of dating. They're doing a lot of part, you know, changing partners rapidly. Um, so it would make sense that they have a steady stable of people that they can reach out to. Right. Okay. So. Clearly, like we are all uh, media and or communication professionals here, right? However, I think I'd like to touch on real quick, like how this type of research, like I said, it's very intangible, first of all, and it's very intimate. I mean, literally intimate, um, kind of strays from like the main trunk of media and communication research a little bit. So what, first of all, why did this question appear to y'all and what made you want to follow it? 
when when this all started, I mean, it was it's kind of autobiographical, but I'm a communication person and Dr. Carter is a communication person. And one of the things that we note about back burners is that they're not just people that you are attracted to and think maybe one day I would want to get together with them. There has to be an element of communication between you and your back burner in order for these people to qualify as a back burner. So in other words, these aren't just people that you have crushes on quietly or private crushes on. Those would be part of your universe of what we call relationship alternatives, people that you might want to try and reach out to. But back burners are a subset of those relationship alternatives that you already are talking to, to some level. And that's what's interesting about it. And that's what makes it a communication phenomenon, because these aren't just you know, relationship, potential relationship partners that you are attracted to, but they're people that you're attracted to and are talking to for purposes of keeping the, well, to keep the metaphor going, you're still fanning the embers to keep those embers glowing just in case you might want to blow it up into a full relationship someday. Okay. Yeah. Right. And I'll just add that, you know, oftentimes they're like college students are communicating via social media. So it, it ties in the media aspect. And so we're focusing on the communication aspect of this. What is it that they're, you know, backburners are doing to keep them on the hook? So it, it's always, you know, it's, it's fascinating. And I will say, I didn't say this before, but Jason was the reason why I started studying this is because he already had this body of research and he was doing this. And I was like, oh, fascinating i i have to jump aboard and so yeah that's how it started okay we just great. like to do cool research the cool stuff of course yeah <laughs> uh, actually i just got done uh teaching research methods i teach the undergraduate section of research methods here in the college and um i told them that i was going to be recording this podcast today and they all seem to get like a big kick out of the fact that we are you know as a college looking at things such as back burner relationships they really they really thought it was a cool thing to be talking about so yeah Definitely cool research going on here. Dr. Carter, you gave me a great segue into a question I had about the technology aspect of everything going on here. So in reading those articles from Psychology Today and the article itself, I was curious if y'all believe or if you had any data supporting if this kind of communication practice, this back burner communication was happening before technology or do you think technology prompted it and or is helping to facilitate it? in a greater way than previous. Dr. Dibble, don't you have a study on that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I mean, one way to approach it is, again, I, I said we didn't invent the backburner concept. We might be one of the first people to kind of give it the name backburner. But this practice of keeping tabs on potential partners and even reaching out to them um, would have been in the old days called the little black book. And so these are all the people that you're attracted to and you keep their phone numbers handy. Um, but what I do think you touched on, um, James, is that technology makes it easier now to keep in touch with your back burners in ways that would have been more difficult to do in the old days. I mean, when I grew up, we had one phone in the house and it was in the kitchen. And so if you wanted to have a conversation with one of your back burners, you really risked being <laughs> overheard by anybody else in the house. So this would have been really, really tough. Um, but it doesn't mean people weren't finding ways. Um, but now you can keep all of your people on your phone and on a private screen, you can look at your screen and um, it makes it so much easier to keep in touch um, with these people in a more private way. So 
we don't know, uh, we haven't really compared how you talk, we haven't done that yet, compared like offline communication with backburners to online communication, but you might start to make some guesses as far as um, technology we think makes it easier to keep tabs on your backburners. Certainly, yeah. Dr. Carter, anything to add there? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, the other study that Jason and I did was uh, look at, and I don't know if you looked at that study in particular, like the differences between um, hookups and uh, friends with benefits and uh, back I burners. Had not, I had not gotten a chance. So that was another study that we looked at. We asked college students if they dif differentiate between those uh, different ones, and we found that they kind of don't on all levels. So that was kind of interesting. So what were the differences there in the categories, kind of? Friends with benefits, hookups. Uh, and backburners. And backburners, yes. Okay, so backburner isn't a, like, umbrella term for those two others. It's we don't know yet. I mean, that's the interesting thing. We thought uh, you can come up with concrete definitions for each one, but when you actually, and when you have people think about it, they'll go, yeah, I know what a friends with benefit is, or I know what a hookup is, or I know what a back burner is. But then when you ask them to rate um, other dimensions, like how passionate are you in these relationships or how much, um, do you disclose to these other people and how much do you share your emotions and so on? You find out that people don't treat those, those relationships very differently. And so we're wondering if maybe back burners are kind of part of this jumble of alternative kind of relationship configurations that people are now using um, in order to sort of, it just becomes kind of part of the, the repertoire of love now. Um, so you have your traditional going steady relationships um, and then you have sort of everything in between where people are just purely sexual kind of hookup kind of thing, friends with benefits where we're having sex, but we're actually have a, a pre-existing friendship and everything in the middle. And we're wondering, that's kind of what inspired backburners in the first place was because other researchers had already gotten to the punch and started studying friends with benefits and hookups. And then we realized, hey, there's this thing backburners that doesn't quite seem to be the same. I wonder um, if it's different in, 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 in what ways. And so that's what got us to start studying backburners in the first place. Sure. So hopefully at the end of the road, there is something like there, there is an item or a definition that separates them from hookups and those other categories you mentioned. Yeah. The, 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 based on the variables that we studied, I mean, we made some predictions as far as we thought that backburners, um, for example, should have, uh, in terms of commitment, friends with benefits should have a little, a smidge of commitment because you have, you're committed to the friendship that may not have to be there for a back burner. Um, and then the other thing, like with hookups, there should be zero commitment because that's all just about sex. But what we're wondering is if maybe we, ha I do have some follow-up research that's come out that we've done with some other colleagues um, where we actually looked at other intersections between backburners and other kinds of ways to relate to people. Like, for example, what we found is for a lot of people, your backburners are often exes. So maybe you have an ex-partner. So you've got some of these, this existing kind of commitment, or you've got this relationship history um, with some of your backburners that may or may not be there, um, or I should say that might sort of blur the lines between hookups, friends with benefits, and backburners. And that might start to explain why we didn't see these concrete categorical differences in the study that Dr. Carter and I did. 
because there may be other ways that people are relating to their back burners that we didn't account for in that earlier research. And we're starting to see now that when you go back and you ask people, do you have any other kind of affiliation with the people you listed as your back burners? You do find a number of them happen to be ex-partners that they're still kind of keeping in touch with, trying to keep those embers glow uh, or glowing. And so in the sense, then the back burner is also an ex-partner. Right. Anything there, Dr. Carter, to add? Anything that struck you? Uh, well, I just thought it was it was a really interesting study. We, we did it at Texas Tech, actually. So, uh, you know, the sample was from Texas Tech students. And I you probably um, know people who are in the data pod. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and we looked at um, friendship strength and we looked at passion, commitment, relationship closeness, frequency of communication, as well as, you know, self-disclosure, which Dr. Dibble mentioned. Um, yeah. And all those aspects. So it, it was a really interesting study for sure. OK, great. So in one of those articles, um, I think it was your 2018 study that got cited in this specific sense that I'm talking about. But uh, Psychology Today, when they were referencing y'all and the work you did, they said that it was very unlikely that anything physical were to come from these back burner relationships most of the time. If that is the case that y'all observed, and please tell me if it wasn't, but if that is the case y'all observed, what do y'all see as the motivation then? You know, why do the work, why spread your energy to different people if there's nothing that ever actually, you know, comes from it? Well, we've got, um, I mean, some old theories in relationship research speak to this. Um, for example, social exchange theory and um, interdependent, or excuse me, uh, the investment model of relationships, which is a derivative of, of social exchange perspectives, basically argue that whether you're in a relationship or not with somebody, your um, sort of your detectors for picking up other alternatives don't really switch off. You're keeping tabs on potential other partners, whether or not you're already in a committed relationship. So we do know, for example, when you are in a happy and committed relationship, that radar is blunted a little bit. It's not quite as sensitive or as going on hyperactive, but it never switches off altogether. That's just how we're hardwired. That's how people work. And so we think backburners might be sort of a natural way that people are continuing to keep that right, that the way that radar functions, you still keep tabs on who else is, um, you know, how green is the grass on the other side, if for no other reason than to make sure you still have the best deal going on with your current partner. So it doesn't mean you're necessarily trying to cheat on your partner. It doesn't mean you're planning to leave your partner. Um, in most cases, just like you said, people are not having sex with their back burners. These are just people that they kind of fan the flames. They keep in contact with in case something ever were to happen. Um, what's really weird is we, anic I don't have any hard data on this yet, but anecdotally, um, I've gotten some reports from old, old, old married couples. And when you run by these, these ideas of, because when you actually ask college students to talk about back burners, a lot of them get really squeamish because they, they hear it as, oh, it means you're cheating on me or something like that. But right. when you ask older married couples, it's really funny. They are very upfront and they'll go, they're totally secure and they'll say, Oh yeah, I totally know that, you know, if, if Bob ever died, I'd get together with Greg. I'm pretty sure that's how it would work. Like they'll say, yeah, this seems real to me. Um, they don't have, she doesn't have any plans to leave Bob, 
And she's just kind of very matter of fact that, yeah, I know full well that if either thing, any, you know, usually it's like a couple that has friends with another couple and they'll just like, yeah, if what something happened to either of us, I'm sure we'd end up getting together. They just come out and say it. It doesn't mean they're planning to leave each other, but they're just kind of, you know, at peace with this is sort of how human romance and sexuality can work. Interesting. So do yeah. you think that, do you think that, <laughs> do you think that distinction, I mean, I know we might be drifting into some psychology territory here, but seeing as y'all were published in psychology, psychology today. Yeah. Um, I wonder if that's just uh, a proponent of life experience, I guess. Right. Like when you read rather than being, you know, 24, 25, when you're like 45, 50, you know, you just kind of have that perspective that, yeah, you know, life isn't happily ever after all the time, you know, like the, the faded love type love that's happening out there. So I guess that's not surprising to me, actually. The, we the even have, yeah. yeah, sorry. Uh, we even have, we even have some data in um, for some of one of our earliest papers from college students that showed um, we found no relationship between how committed you are to your current partner and the number of back burners that you have. Um, we had a really good theory to predict that the more committed you are, the fewer back burners you should have. The investment model suggests that. Um, we did not find a relationship. There was no way you, you can't predict how committed somebody is just by whether or not they have back burners. Um, you can't use back burners as an indicator of commitment when it comes to these particular college relationships. And we kind of take that as sort of a, don't sound the general alarm yet. We, we're, you know, people want to condemn back burners and oh, this is so wrong. You should never think this kind of stuff, but you know what? This is how humans are hardwired. You're going to notice other attractive people. And we even have finding data now, the evidence suggests you're also going to keep in touch with some of these people, but that doesn't mean doesn't have to mean you're cheating on your partner. It's kind of what you're doing with it beyond that that makes the difference of whether you're cheating. And um, we, we also remind people that, you know, you shouldn't assume just because somebody's talking to back burners that they're any less committed to you. We don't have any relationship between those two. So, um, you know, that's kind of where things sit until we learn more. Well, I was going to say earlier after the last question, if I didn't have trust issues, I do now, but you just made me feel better. So that's the goal. <laughs> um, but we preach discretion, not yeah. general freak out. Yeah, there you go. And all this stuff that I'm hearing right now, I mean, it, it oddly lines up. I'm a kind of person on a day to day basis. I or at least on a life like a larger life view of things. I always feel like we are often guided by really primal like instincts and whatnot and i feel like this type of research really falls into that category right like you said just because i might have five six back burners in the you know the roster somewhere doesn't mean i have intentions to cheat i think it's literally just if you want to strip it down to its bare essentials i think it's about that survival instinct right like just making sure that you have places to survive and procreate <laughs> And it's why we do the research. I mean, we call it the record versus the lore. The lore is sort of the social understanding, what people will, you know, the social and, oh, this is all bad, you're cheating. And But the data don't support that. The record don't support that these automatically count as cheating or that uh, it means you're headed for Splitsville. In fact, kind of the approach we're taking right now is that this might just be another part of everyday human romantic repertoire. I mean, it's just part of what we do. And 
when we realize that and consider it just to be natural, it doesn't have to be this freak out thing. Dr. Carter, do you stand on the same side of this issue here? I totally do. Yes, absolutely. Uh, I think the anticipation, like going back to your question before, like the just the anticipation of just because we as humans like to be connected to other people. So just the fact that you're talking to this person, I mean, possibly it could get physical, possibly it could not. But yet the the just the interaction itself is stimulating enough to keep it going. I mean, there's something about that attraction, right? There's something that keeps people um in that behavior. So that's all I was going to add. Well, I think the, those items that we're talking about, the things that keep those behaviors coming are those four categories y'all have listed. Could you remind me of those again? The, the reasons you uh, keep backburners? Why do people keep backburners? Yeah, it was the assurances and those, the four items there. Oh, there. those are the maintenance strategies. Go ahead. Yeah. So that's uh, positivity, assurances, openness, and, um, that's, I think it was those yeah, three. Yeah, it was just three. Mm -hmm. Okay, three. Yeah, so all those three things, when I hear those things, it makes me think of like not only um, does it feel good to receive those, but it also feels good to have just multiple people that you are able to do that with, like practice those things with. So it makes sense to me, I guess, that we do seek out um, a type of secondary person in our life who has that a little bit of a raised intimacy level, right? Not quite a friend, not quite someone we're committed to as a significant other. Um, because being open with people and like having that assurance that you matter to someone else and then being able to reciprocate that they matter to you, I mean, that just feels good no matter who it's coming from, right? Yeah. Absolutely. And we have, I mean, it feels good to flirt. We do have some data that shows that all the mo motivations for flirting are not all the same. And some people flirt for sort of nefarious purposes and other people are doing it just for the ego boost that comes from knowing, Hey, I still got something. And what interestingly happens for some of these people is even if you're already in a committed relationship with somebody, you can kind of bring that back to your, your committed partner is that I still got something. And in some weird kind of roundabout way that actually turns into a positive for your primary relationship. So again, everything is nuanced. We preach discretion, not just freaking out um, just because you find someone, you know, you come across your partner's phone and they got back burners in there or whatever. Hold on, um, because chances are a lot of other people do, too. And it's very, very common, um, and which is what I discovered way back when I started studying this in my grad school day after my grad school days was I wanted to know, am I the only one? Is there something weird about me? And it turns out, no. Um, most college students do this, depending on what study we've done, we've gotten estimates higher than 80% are wow. keeping back burners. Um, in fact, so I think it's fair to say that if you are keeping back burners, you are in the majority. Um, interestingly, we also see very few differences between whether you're already in a committed relationship or whether you're single, both groups report back burners. Interesting. And of the people who are in committed relationships, if you split them in, if you split them further into two groups between whether they have backburners or not, more people have backburners. That is really interesting. And just the fact that you threw out an 80% there, I feel like 80% in any kind of research, no matter the question, 80% is a massive number. I mean, that's really surprising. It's the norm. <laughs> that's really surprising. Yeah, wow. It's it's backburners seem to be the norm which again flies in the face of the lore because 
either we don't want to admit it or we just, you know, there's a lot of things that we do in, in our culture that we just want to keep private, but we all do it. Yeah. Backburners seem to be one of those. Interesting. And I know no matter what I said previous, someone's going to listen to this and they're going to be eyeing their boyfriend and girlfriend differently for the next month or so. But I guess there's no way around it at that point. But keep, like keep you said, watch out for the side eye. It's all good. Like you said, discretion, right? But this yeah. reminds me of, uh, do either of you, are either of y'all fr- uh, fans of Friends? Oh, yeah. yeah. TV show Absolutely. Yeah. Total Gen X are here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it reminds me of the episode where, uh, um, gosh, I can't remember what's happening, but uh, Ross thinks Chandler is flirting with the pizza girl or something. And then Chandler asks Monica, he's like, wait, you flirt with dudes? Because Monica's like, I don't care. And he's like, wait, are you flirting with guys? And like, it turns into this big deal, but apparently it shouldn't be a big deal uh, compared to research. It doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be. Right? So this is one of those things where we don't want to say that there's no link between any of this stuff and eventual infidelity, but it doesn't have to be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Good deal. Well, I mean, we, we have gotten into a lot of like these areas I wanted to touch on, but one of the big questions I have for y'all, at least big in terms of like broadness, um, on a general scale, I know that we're talking about majority of people have back burners. We should practice discretion when we discover maybe our significant other does have them. We should probably talk about it. But in general, would y'all say that the practice of keeping them is positive or negative? Or is it any of the two? I would say that it's positive based on what Dr. Dibble was talking about earlier. Like it helps your relationship actually. So it helps your primary relationship because you are seen as more attractive to somebody else. And um, yeah. So that's what I would say. I think you just made a lot of people upset, probably. <laughs> there would be a whole lot of guys and girls going, Dr. Carter. Yeah. My, I mean, my significant yeah. other is citing your podcast is why they have these people in their phone. Yeah. I mean, it could be a positive um, and, or at least put it this way. It doesn't have to be a negative. Right. If you don't if we can't put you so far, we're not trying to make the argument that, hey, this is great for the world. Uh, we don't exactly know yet. That's where we're headed for this, for the research now, is we're trying to now study the consequences of keeping back burners. And to be fair, we have started to see there are some potential negative consequences um, when it comes to uh, things like stress and certain well-being indicators, uh, because a lot of people, they see their back burners as something they have to hide, they have to keep quiet, they have to keep private, and that takes a lot of energy that ends up stressing them out and there may be some correlates that are going along with that that could be actually driving the problems and back burners are coming along for the ride so we haven't really sorted those things out yet um, but based on the data the big pile of data we have so far we don't see a link yet at least with college students um, that links uh, how committed you are to your numbers of back burners um, but again those are just crude indicators right how much committed you are to your relationship and, and just numbers of back burners. Maybe the story isn't just in raw volume, but it's quality over quantity. So maybe it's having one really juicy back burner outweighs having a bunch of just sort of, you know, surface level ones. So we haven't gotten there yet, um, but that's kind of where Dr. Carter and I want to go with some research next is to explore what does the communication look like with your back burners? What are you actually saying to them? Um, 
I don't know if you study like relationship dialectics theory or anything like that, but people who buy into dialectics argue they're these push-pull tensions in relationships. So you simultaneously want your own freedom, but you simultaneously, at the same time, you want to also be connected to somebody else. And how do you ping back and forth between those two poles? Maybe the way we talk to our back burners is somewhere similar, because what's interesting is you you can't talk to them so much that you fan it into a full flame relationship. Right. But you can't talk zero. Otherwise they fall off the stove. Yeah. So what do you say to keep them in that sort of limbo area? And how wide is that limbo area? And we don't really know what that communication looks like, but that could be some qualitatively different looking talk that you have with somebody. And, and we don't know yet. Yeah. I love that progression of the research here, figuring out like how many people have them, how they're keeping in touch with them. And then next, like, what are you actually saying? Right. How does this actually play out? I like that a lot. But Dr. Carter, I'm kind of curious if you could expand a little bit on like that positivity aspect that you mentioned. Like you do believe it can be a positive thing. Can you kind of maybe expand on why that is or how that might work? Well, yeah, absolutely. So uh, I'm going to just also stress that it could be positive so but i do think it is positive for a relationship because it it makes you stronger in your relationship you are when you're talking like if you are talking to other backburners like i said it makes you seem like your um your options are out there right but then it makes you question your relationship at hand too and then it makes you um, value what you have right your front burner whether you want to stay in that relationship or not so oftentimes i think that that actually helps your relationship um, because you are um, you are seen as attracted to other people, but also um, it opens the I don't know it just kind of opens the lines of communication, if you will. Like I feel like you know you're you're being open to other people talking to you, but then you can be open with your partner about those kind of things too. So just like that, Ross. I mean, sorry, the episode that you're talking about on Friends, <laughs> mm-hmm. right? You yeah, know, yeah. So. Yeah, I when I was going through this and kind of getting prepped for the episode, that was like my first thought for the positivity side of things, at least. I totally see how it can also be very harmful, you know, if not handled in the proper way. Um, But with the positivity side of things, I was like, well, maybe, you know, if done properly, done with some type of maturity, right? It's this idea that um, you can value, like you said, value who you actually have, you know, whenever something happens with this back burner or whatever. And then also this kind of confidence level at play, the fact that, you know, multiple people are maybe feeling desired to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, great. Well, let's see here. Um, I think I have a couple more for y'all. We're closing in on about 40 minutes already. That's crazy. I can't believe we've been here for 40 minutes. Um, is that a record? I don't, I don't know how, <laughs> well, no, there was, there was one time I got to talking about like movie theaters and whatnot with one of our uh, adjuncts. And we went for a little, like, I want to say close to an hour and a half, but we got way off topic. I had to cut out like half of the things going on. So yeah, it was just, <laughs> um, but so I guess we've already kind of gotten into that positive negative relationship happening here. And the last question I had was about avoiding back burners maybe, but it sounds like we necessarily don't have to avoid them. I was going to ask like, what is there evidence that supports how we might avoid this? Cause I off the bat saw it as kind of a negative thing with maybe some positive implications, but now we're getting into this discussion. It's like, okay, depending on how you handle it, depending on how it rolls, maybe it's not such a terrible thing. Maybe 
Yeah, I mean, maybe. I guess it, it, this is all still very, very, I mean, you got to look in the landscape, the, the broad universe of relationship research. This is a little blip. So although we've gotten a little bit of press here and there, a lot of people still haven't seen these data. And so um, we're just but a couple humble researchers who don't really have a lot of time to promote and, and do the PR for this kind of stuff. But I mean, there are some little bits that say maybe this isn't as bad as people might want to claim. And that um, just like with a lot of things, nuance is the key and understanding uh, and, and we're communication people. So we're relationship communication people who say that the key here is to talk with your partner about these ideas. Um, and if somebody does bring up these ideas in your relationship, just don't run away screaming like your hair's on fire, hang in there and listen to what they have to say because you might come to an understanding that says, hey, okay, we've kind of been able to identify a line where this level of back burner activity is going to be okay and, and not going to bother me. This crosses the line. And uh, it, it's, it's going to depend on each relationship to determine where that line is. Um, and, the, and the thing you can't do is assume your partner's line is at the same, where, same place yours is. Right. You know, they may have different boundaries. You may have different boundaries. And so talking is the key to figure out, hey, what's off limits? What's okay? Um, yeah, <laughs> I think I would always pro I would always preach that. Right. Yeah. 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 I, I was just going to say that um, with the relationship, uh, what we know in, in terms of like relationship theories and stuff like that, uh, they were written and they were created. Most of them were developed like the ones that are, you know, tried and true. They've yeah. been around for a long time and they were created way before like all these other like social media um, applications were created. So our ways of, you know, uh, romantic relationships or creating, maintaining uh, have changed drastically from, you know, a couple years ago. It's always evolving. So we're trying to understand what is it right now? How are people maintaining or avoiding or, you know, keeping those back burners. So that's what we're trying to, to piece together. Right, and I think that's why y'all have hit a very unique spot in terms of communication research because with the technology that we're dealing with, the media, um, I mean, this seems like something that is way more ubiquitous these days, having a back burner, right? Because of the technology, because of the ease with which you can do it. So I really think, I'm really excited to, hopefully there can be a part two now that I know that y'all are gonna go a, a future route here, because I'd really love to know uh, what people are saying in these situations. That would be extremely interesting to me. But Dr. Dibble, I know we're closing in on your benchmark here, and I just have one more question that I wanted to ask both of y'all, because Dr. Dibble, you are the first uh, guest on this podcast. It is not a member of the College of Media and Communication. So with that being a fact right now, um, I, I'm really curious to know because it's a very popular thing in research, academic research, to partner, you know, cross college, cross university for studies. Why is it important to do that? What benefits does your study have by going cross college, by reaching out from other, you know, outside of your little realm, your university? Well, there's huge benefits. I mean, for one, just a practical one, I work at a private liberal arts college that has 3,200 students. So I simply just don't have the numbers to do kind of the volume of quantitative research or the kind of, you know, to gather the volume of samples that we would need, the size samples that we would need for traditional quantitative research. So there's sort of a practical need for me to, to collaborate, but, but 
put that aside. Um, I like to collaborate and I want to collaborate because um, it also allows you to get access to people from further away. And um, you, you learn about, you teach about external validity, which is the extent to which you find these generalized to people who are different from um, your original study population. So um, I've gathered data from Hawaii. I've gathered data from Michigan. Uh, we've gathered data now from Oklahoma and uh, a, a bunch of, of, of people from um, Texas and Texas Tech have, have contributed to our studies. You add all that up and when the findings kind of converge and say the same thing, you can put more faith in those findings because you don't just chalk it off to a certain kind of person. So there's a huge advantage to doing that like that. Dr. Carter, anything to add there? <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, like I love working with Jason because he offers a different perspective. He gives me, you know, different insights. Uh, it's just, and like he said, you know, him teaching at a, a different university compared to Texas Tech, it's just, it's like, it makes our research more reliable, generalizable, all those then kind of things. So it, it makes it solid for sure. So awesome. Yeah. Like I said, I, I figure I would take this time to preach about collaboration and, you know, it's not, it's not like sports when we're talking about academic research. We're not them versus us. You know, it's let's, let's figure things, figure some things out together. Rather than just being a one trick pony, you have other things. And so I learn every time I collaborate with Dr. Carter, I learn every time I collaborate with somebody else. Um, my, my attitude is I love to go feel good and dumb for a little while. So I go hang out with people who are smarter than me so that I can get sharper myself. And being able to collaborate like this um, is one of the ways I can do that. Iron sharp, iron sharpens iron. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the fact that, you know, like he brings a male perspective and I can bring a female perspective and then, right. you know, that helps. If you're talking <laughs> about relationships. You definitely right. want both. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. Y'all. I mean, I think that's a great place to call it quits there. I think we got a lot of great conversation there. Don't y'all? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the time. And again, yeah. thank, you thank you for the honor and the distinction of being the first non TTU guy. There you go. We'll send person. you a plaque, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, awesome. Yeah. This has been on communication brought to you by the college of media and communication. I'm your host, James Loss. And thank you so much for joining us today. Please join us next time as we visit with Dr. Foster about the sometimes terrifying but always beneficial world of freelancing. I hope you all learned something today because I know I did. <laughs>